But I like the idea that we're part of something as the church that is advancing. We're not, not advancing militarily, although the, we've done that before in the past as the body of Christ and it's generally been very poor. Uh, but the reality is we have, a, we have a mandate to extend the kingdom of God, the ways of God uh, into the world. And we do that first in our own heart, don't we? How many people know that the battle begins in our heart and probably our, our biggest challenges and the biggest challenges for the ways of God are really found in our own hearts, aren't they? The darkest evil you ever get to face up close is the evil that exists in your own nasty little heart, isn't it? Yeah, all the slightly older people are prepared to acknowledge that. Young people are still pretending to be Christians. But the reality is, uh, you know, Jeremiah said that, the, that, that our hearts are deceitful. And they're wicked beyond anything else. And, uh, you know, that's often a really encouraging message, isn't it? You know, but Jesus knew what was going on in your heart, which is why he died. You know, it's a funny thing as Christians that we, we so celebrate, and we should, what Jesus has done, that he died for us because there was no other way that we could be saved because that we, you know, the evil of our own heart needed the redemption of Christ's blood, right? And we, you know, that's something we should celebrate, isn't it? Yeah, you're all looking very celebratory when I mention it. Uh, but, the, but then, so we celebrate that, and then, then we expend all of our energy pretending like we didn't need him to do that, uh, you know, well, which is actually a little bit stupid, uh, and we miss the point where really what we need to understand is that the kingdom of God advances, and it begins in our own heart, and we can see that right throughout Scripture, can't we? Uh, I love Ephesians said, uh, Paul prays in Ephesians, he prays, I pray that Christ would be more and more at home in your hearts. I like it because there's process in that. Paul didn't pray, I pray that you'd be perfect right now and Jesus would be perfectly at home in your heart. Right? How many people know there's aspects of your heart that Jesus finds uncomfortable? Sometimes the music's not what he wants. Sometimes the, the food is not the meal he would eat. Sometimes the, the thought patterns are not what Jesus would want. But the prayer of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church was that Christ would become more and more at home in our hearts. Amen. And so first of all, that process happens in our heart. But secondly, we know that as the body of Christ in Wellington, we've got a responsibility to, to, to witness Jesus. And we've talked about that from, from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us power, right? So that we can be witnesses. And unfortunately, witnesses means martyrs. So that we can give up our life uh, to reveal Jesus in first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that we've got a role to play in Wellington, don't we? Yes, we have a role to play in Wellington. If we didn't have a role to play in Wellington, we would be somewhere else. You would have been born somewhere else. You would have studied at university somewhere else. You would have got a job somewhere else, right? But the fact of the matter is uh, that we have a role to play wherever we are uh, to see the kingdom of God extended, right? Very good. I like Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because the, the disciples are asking a really important question. They say, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom back to, to Israel? Which is, if we translated that, that, that's like them asking, is this the time where all my dreams come true? So that's an important question, because they're talking to Jesus. He's been resurrected from the dead. How many people know that that would make you start to think about the world differently? So like hope begins to arise in their heart, and they say, Jesus, is this the moment where it all comes together? Now, I think that's a massive human nature question. We're always looking for the time where everything's going to work from now on. Well, now we've got it locked down. You know, if you're married, that's what you want in your marriage. When you deal with an issue, you deal with it, you think, well, you deal with, you deal with an issue, and then you think, fine, oh, good. 
We've got that all, it's all sorted now. How many of you know that feeling? We've got that, that all sorted, but it's the same as dishes. That you, you've, got to get them, you've got to sort of get it all sorted every day. Uh, and things don't stay sorted. Don't, have you noticed that? Your car doesn't stay sorted. Your, the dishes don't stay sorted. Your job doesn't stay sorted. And, and the reality is when we're looking, when we look to Jesus, sometimes we bring in this, uh, this, 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 a bit of a lotto mentality to our faith where we say, Jesus, are you, is, it, is, it big, is today Big Wednesday? You know, where I can pay all of my bills, I can deal with all my problems. Just give me a show of hands if you've ever asked a question like that of Jesus, where you're really saying, come on, Jesus, I just want it all to work, and I don't want it to be confusing and difficult anymore. Uh, In answer to that question, Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can give up your life to make me real in the world. It's like, uh, can we go back to the question? And Jesus, you know, Jesus, just, Jesus doesn't even say, no, this isn't when it all, when it all comes together, when everything's perfect. He just says, no, that's up to the Father. If it's not even up to Jesus, why do we think it's up to us? You don't have to make it all work. You just have to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses that we give up our own life so that we can make him real in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Awesome. That was a great sermon, and it took me 45 minutes last time I preached it. So you guys are really, it's really efficient to hear it just in five minutes like that. And so when we take up our miracle, I think what I'm believing for is one day that we'd see 100 people in church giving $1,000, which would be cool because I love round figures. I like round figures. They're easy to add. But that would mean that we'd see $100,000 given to the extension of the kingdom in Wellington. And, you know, at the, right at the moment, we're, we're uh, in the middle of going, changing venues from here to Wellington High School, which is going to be great. Uh, we, in the Wellington High School Hall, we'll be able to set up with about 200 seats, uh, which is just that next size bigger than we are now, so a bit more space, uh, which is going to be good. But it's a really big room, so we want to invest in a, a, a bigger sound system for two reasons. We want to leave this one here, so we're not cutting stuff backwards and forwards, partly because we've proven, we've proven that doing that makes things last a very short time. Because uh, what you do is you, we throw it in the van, and then we throw it in the hall, and we throw it back here, and then we take our plastic speakers to get fixed every other week. Anyhow, so we want to leave this system here. We want to invest in a, a, a bigger one for the bigger space. We also want to really invest in our children's programs. Um, so a little bit of equipment. Uh, the, the kids' team are really asking that we invest in a, some quality curriculum. Uh, which, which I think is a good investment as well. Uh, and we also want to invest in our, our hosting team to make sure that in, the, so that in the biggest space we've got the right amount of furniture. Have you ever, have you ever moved into a bigger house and then you're like, uh, you know? <laughs> have you ever done that move? You know, when you get married, you live in the smallest house, then you get into the bigger house, and you're like, oh, man, we've got to buy more stuff. Uh, and then you've got to throw out all your stuff, and anyhow, but... Uh, we do want to uh, furnish the space so that we actually can fill it. And uh, so that's one thing we want to do. We want to continue doing, uh, reaching out uh, to young people through uh, Revolution Youth. And uh, we just had a cool time on uh, Friday in Tawa. Uh, and uh, just I think we saw six young people responding to Jesus, quite a few people there for the first time, uh, and just some awesome table tennis on my part. It was awesome. And uh, and just cool, just cool seeing actually not just seeing for me it's not just about teenagers, but for me it's about those the guys in their in their early twenties really stepping up and leading, take responsibility, and uh, just cool seeing Aru up doing the notices, just amazing. I've just never seen notices done like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Between him and Mark, it was I don't think it was intended to be comedy, but they worked it. They worked it. 
and uh, just just cool, just cool seeing seeing people leading out and reaching out, and young people's lives being impacted. So we want to continue to invest in that. We also want to continue to invest uh, into reaching out on university campus, and these it doesn't cost a lot of money, uh, but it may, can make a huge difference in someone's life in one person's life. And, you know, you just need to chat with Lucas sometime and just talk about what God's done in his life over the last one year, uh, you know, just in terms of Revolution Youth and, and the impact that it's had in his life. Just need to talk to some of our year one students or talk to Alistair even. He's, he's like the finished product of university ministry, you know. And it's obviously, prototype will improve on it, but <laughs> if that's possible, if possible. Sometimes the first thing is the best thing. But anyway... Uh, just, you know, it makes a big difference. You know, if, if we can be on campus connecting with year one students, helping them uh, re- be part of church and get connected uh, so that they're in a str- the strongest possible place as they go into university, which I think is a really important part of them developing influence as Christians or finding Jesus for the first time as well. Is that cool? And so if uh, I could break the numbers all down for you, but basically that all of what I've just said, if we, want, if we did whatever, if we did it the way we want to do it, that would cost about $200,000. So uh, obviously the way church works is we always do as much as we can with as, as whatever we've got. And uh, so I just encourage you, you know, just allow your heart to connect with what we're trying to do in Wellington. We're trying to reach out. We're trying to make a difference. Uh, we're not trying too hard. We're just trying to be who God's called us to be. And I think, um, if I was to just choose one scripture out of the Bible and say, this is what, really what, uh, what church is about, it would be uh, God's promise to Abraham, which, which we know was the gospel. It was the first promise to Abraham, and it was that, that through your family, every family on the earth would be blessed. And I think if, you know, if we're going to draw, you know, if we're going to identify our biggest goal as a church, it would be that through Equippers Church Wellington, every family in Wellington would be blessed. You know, that not, not necessarily saved or attending our church or wearing a red T-shirt, uh, but that every family in Wellington would somehow be blessed by our activities, by, by, a, by a person from Equippers, uh, or by one of the things that we're doing. Amen? Very, very cool. So we're going to receive that offering uh, next week, which is the 16th, I believe, and it's going to be awesome. Is that cool? Uh, some people will give in a lump sum, and that's awesome. We appreciate that. Uh, Chrissy and I are going to be giving on a week-by-week basis across the year from this August through to next August. We'll decide uh, what we can give up and what we need, how can we adjust our finances uh, to do that. And so we're encouraging everyone else to think like that as well. Very cool. If you've got your Bible, I want you to grab it, and uh, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we've been in Acts chapter 1, and, uh, and, uh, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 this morning. And I want to read this, uh, just a short passage, and then I've got uh, 27 uh, short ideas I want to share with you, and, uh, and uh, we'll finish, I'm aiming to finish at 20 past, so if I go a bit longer than that, we, we'll, we, half past is our deadline where I'll just, someone will be, someone is instructed to grab the microphone off me and wrestle me to the floor, uh, but, uh, so I aim to finish at 10, uh, 10 minutes before that moment when Alistair comes running. Okay, so, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse... Uh, 42, and I'm going to read it, uh, uh, like I said already, from this is from an older translation, so some of the language is a little bit archaic, but uh, I like, sometimes the bigger words, the words we're not so familiar with, can actually communicate a little bit more, so that's why I've chosen to use this passage uh, from this version today, is that all right? It says this, uh, verse 42, um, uh, let's go from verse 40, this is the very end of St. Peter's sermon after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And it says that with many other words, so beyond what's just written, 
he testified and he exhorted them and he said, be saved from this perverse generation or crooked generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So there was 120 in the upper room. We know the Holy Spirit was poured out in power. They all fell out from... uh, Abe's mum just calling, so do you need to go and get some milk and stuff? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's your alarm. Okay, yeah. If you have, if you ever have to set an alarm for ten to eleven, you know you're staying up too late. Uh, <laughs> that's right. He was Abraham was obviously anticipating being asleep in the sermon and, and needing to be wakened. Uh, anyhow, we know the Holy Spirit's poured out in Acts chapter 1, 120 people in the upper room. They begin speaking in other tongues. There's fire and wind. It's awesome. They all fall out of the upper room and they find themselves on the street. And then they're all preaching the gospel, 120 people preaching the gospel in different languages. Pretty awesome. And they all, a whole crowd gathers and Peter steps up, preaches about what, that you know, the people look drunk, but they're not drunk. Uh, the Holy Spirit's coming and he connects what God's doing with the Old Testament revelation. And then they all respond. They say, what do we need to do? be saved and he says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and then and they they do that and it says here 3000 people respond and are added to the church so suddenly this is this there's suddenly there's this movement we know it began with Jesus and many of these people who responded on on the day of Pentecost which we're reading about would have been people who had heard Jesus preach so it wasn't brand new to them on the day but they respond and then this movement begins to build behind Peter and the other apostles right and verse 42 is where we want to read this is where we see the church first described in its reality so it's now it's real this movement of people, this called out group. And it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And, and fear or, or, or awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs or miracles were done through the apostles. Now, all of those who believed were together and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. And so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, and praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." It's a great little bunch of words. It's a cool little description of the church. And, and it's, it's, it's a little passage in the Bible that church leaders and Christians have gone back to now for 2,000 years to think about what does it mean to be a community of faith? What does it mean to be alive? Or what does it mean to be living stones built into a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? These are all descriptive words, but this is a description of what actually happened when God began to work through His church. And it's powerful, isn't it? No, it would be wrong for us to think there weren't other things happening as well. 
right? So I imagine people got annoyed with each other, had arguments, people slapped each other in the face, people stole each other's car parks, and uh, people's kids annoyed other people's kids. You know, all that sort of stuff would have been happening as well. There would have been arguments about the hosting team and all that sort of stuff, the songs they were singing. All of that was happening as well. But in the middle of it, the, 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 the Holy Spirit's identifying for us a whole bunch of stuff that happens when He's alive, when He's at work in community. It's, a, it's an almost immediate picture of what Jesus talked about when the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and begins to bear fruit in us, that it changes community and it changes individuals. So the few things just to note, right? First of all, there's a whole bunch of, of, um, of attitudes that are displayed. There's, 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 there's generosity. There's the favor of God. We can see love at work, can't we? There's love and there's, a, there's unity, and togetherness, right? There's gladness and simplicity of heart. Don't you like that? They ate their meals together with gladness and simplicity of heart. Isn't simplicity of heart just a cool little phrase? Uh, That's one of the phrases I liked in this older translation, a simplicity of heart. You know, obviously, obviously the opposite of simplicity of heart is duplicity of heart, where you've got multiple motivations going on. When you've got two reasons for saying what you said, when you've got two reasons for doing what you did, or, or three reasons, or four reasons, right? And, and the Holy Spirit work in community brings together a simplicity of heart that just says, hey, we serve and we're eating together because we like to serve and we like to eat together. So often in church, we get duplicitous. I'm serving because I like to serve and also I think it's the right thing to do. Or I'm serving because I like to serve and it's the right thing to do and it's an expectation of leaders and I want to look good in my red t-shirt, right? And that, all that duplicity, it just makes things complicated. If we can come back to a simplicity of heart, this is what's our one reason for being and our one reason for following Jesus, amen? There's praise there. There's a believing in faith that's there. And then there's giving. So I already said generosity, but there's giving and I think giving's an important mark of the church. And generosity is an important mark of the true church, right? But there's also this, there's a whole next step. There's a whole next step. You know, if I have a bag of lollies and, and Shay wants one of the lollies, well, I could, we could assume that everyone wants a lolly, can't you? You can, you know, it's not like if you're eating your lollies and you eat all the lollies in front of your friends. You can't then really legitimately say, well, I didn't know they wanted one. Why? Because how many people want lollies? Everyone wants lollies, right? Uh, so I could I could be generous and I could give Shay a lolly. So I've got 150 jelly beans and I give Shay a lolly. Shay, would you like a jelly bean? Now, how many people know that that's generous? It is. It is generous. It's me giving of mine to, to bless Shay, right? That's generous. But there's a whole other level here that's not just giving, it's sharing which is a whole nother level, right? This attitude not just to give, but to share. So there's a whole bunch of attitudes at work. There's a whole lot of action as well. How many of you know action, attitudes are awesome, but actions are important as well, right? So you can read in this passage a whole bunch of actions. So one of them is that they continued steadfastly. How many people like that? They continued steadfastly. It's another old-fashioned way of saying they were committed, They kept doing what they said they would do. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. They kept going at it. 
right? So they kept going. They were a committed group of people. And one of the things they continued steadfastly in is they continued steadfastly in teachings. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. That's nice, isn't it? So they had this steadfast commitment to hang out. Yeah, I reckon that's cool. Because it's pretty easy just to hang out. But they had this steadfast commitment to hang out, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to temple worship, and to house-to-house gathering. Right? And, and, and they, they did these actions of selling up. People who had land and property sold up and shared. They didn't share their income. They shared their equity which I think is pretty phenomenal. This is, if you think about it, that's a miracle, right? Yes, it's a miracle, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water. But for people to share at an equity level, that's a massive deal, right? They're not just sharing, they're sharing of themselves. You know, like if you think about it, if you expand it out from money, like it's easy to share a smile and a handshake or to share friendliness, but they're sharing at their equity level, they're, they're, what they're, the, who they are, they're sharing, right? And then number, then the other thing we see, there's attitudes, there's actions, and then there's results. And, and the results are that there's miracles happen. There's miracles. There's signs and wonders. And I don't think any Christian wants to live a life without signs and wonders. But I think we often live without miracles, because we think miracles are a goal, but they're not. The miracles are a result. We think miracles are a given, but they're not. They're a result. There's a whole lot going on before you see signs and wonders. First of all, there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Basically, before that, you've got the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then these people believing in Jesus are filled now with the Holy Spirit. And then there's this attitude and all of these actions. And then we see Miracles, right? And they have favor. It says they have favor with God and they have favor with everybody else in the city. So they're looked upon with honor by everyone in the city. And then it says that they grow daily. Now, is this passage of scripture, have a think about it. Is this passage of scripture, is it like a, is it supposed to be a model that we then build to? Or, or is it, or is it a vision statement that we reach towards? Uh, is it the other question? I know some people have used this as a minimum requirement, like this is a standard, right? If you're not this, then you're not the church, right? Is it a standard? Is it a model? Is it a vision? And I, I think that it's actually all of those things. And really, there's some benefit in thinking about this as a standard. That actually, there's some things here that we should just do, right, as standard, right? We should just do them. There's some things here that are visionary we should believe for. And, and there's things that are models that we should begin to do what we can to shape our life on. And I think sometimes we miss the, 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 we miss the shape of this passage if we think about it just as a standard, or we think about it just as a vision statement, or we think about it just as a model. So yes, this is something I should shape my life on, and I take it as a model. Or yes, it's a vision statement, but the problem with vision statements is that they're always out in front. Well, that'd be awesome one day when we see miracles. That'd be awesome one day when we're unified, but at the moment, we're busy fighting. That'd be, that'd be awesome one day when we're sharing, but at the moment, we're just eating our own jelly beans, right? 
And a vision statement's awesome as long as we can understand that it's, it's got to be more than just a vision statement that's way out there. There's got to be some standard to it that says, no, there's some Christian realities that we want to be part of our life as individuals. And those Christian realities, we want to see reflected in the church. Don't we? Now, is it always going to be perfect? No. Why? Because you're in the church, right? So you're always lowering the level down, right? The reality is until they keep all the people out of the church, it's ne- never going to be perfect, right? But that we, could, we can believe for and actually we could expect in our own life and aim for some standards, don't you reckon? I reckon we should see results like that. I reckon Equipus Church, Wellington, we should see signs and wonders. We should see miracles, shouldn't we? That's what we should be believing for. That's what we should be expecting for. And, and, and we should see, shouldn't we? We should, we, should, we should see those miracles. So we should take those actions. We should just do some of those actions, shouldn't we? We should just do prayer. We should just do praise and worship, shouldn't we? We should just gather house to house. What are you doing? Well, we're just gathering. Why? Well, it's a good action. It's a good thing to do. Why? Well, we want to see miracles, right? Now, now if we just take the actions, we're going to be in trouble because we, we should also develop and foster those attitudes, <laughs> You know, because if we're all worshiping every day in the temple and we're gathering house to house, but we don't have like unity and love, it's going to be nasty, right? Uh, actually, we, we, we should, these are attitudes that we should foster, shouldn't they? Yeah, very, very good. Have a, have a think about, let's have a think about results. If you're taking notes, write down the word results. And the first result we want and we want aim for is we want, a res, we want the result of miracles. We want miracles. And, and in fact, miracles aren't are optional extra. Sometimes we think about miracles being a bit of an icing on the cake. You know, I did all this hard work and then God did this miracle and wow, and now it's amazing. Well, it's like, well, actually, miracles are the cake. Uh, if we don't hear it, if we don't really, if, if we don't have miracles, if we don't have the signs and wonders of God being present with us, what exactly do we have? If we don't have the miracle of the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ, because that's a miracle, isn't it? That, that God himself would come in human form and die in our place. That his death would be redemptive for all of humanity. Right? If we don't have that, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, if, we don't, if we can't believe for God to turn the circumstances around, what are we praying for? Are we just, uh, one of my, when I was teaching in the, in the UK, I was teaching at a church school. And none of the other staff were Christians. It was just an interesting scenario. Uh, and, and the principal prayed one time in the, in the assembly because you had to have an act of worship. And so she lit some candles and she prayed. This is her prayer. Let's think today about working hard. Amen. I was like, this is, the, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, if, if you're going to have a prayer and assembly, wouldn't you pray something like, God, we need a miracle today. There's a bunch of these kids that are feral bush pigs. We need a miracle. The teachers are stupid and lazy. The kids are crazy. We need a miracle. We need our school turned around. Like, if you're going to pray, why pray for something that you can do yourself? Let's think about working hard. I'm like, I don't want to think about working hard. I'm thinking about lunchtime and then 3 o'clock when I get on my bike and ride home. Now, the reality is we've got to have miracles. And if, we, you, know, if you think about it, the pattern is the, pattern is, uh, the children of Israel coming out of, of Egypt. If there's no miracles, it's a really short story. 
Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. No, kill him. I don't think it would have even made the Bible. It'd be like, there'd be no need to tell the burning bush story if there wasn't miracles. There's no need to, you know, I think it's true in your own life. Come on, where do you need a miracle? Would you, would you, could you go from just hoping for one to believing for one? And maybe you could go from believing for one to expecting one. If you can't expect one, you can believe for one and say, God, I need a miracle. I'm going to believe for a miracle. Do you know, it doesn't take any more effort to believe for a miracle than to believe for a disaster. Oh, it's going to be, oh man, this job sucks. It's going to be terrible, right? You know, it, that takes effort and energy. That costs you emotionally to believe that about your job or your university studies, or your marriage, right? But you could believe for a miracle. God, I'm believing you're going to turn it around. You know, what could God do? He could turn the harbor to blood. He could send a plague of locusts. There's a whole lot. God, God's got a list of opportunities, and he's got a, like a whole arsenal of miracles he could release, right? If it needs for you to your house to be in light and the rest of the city to be dark, he can do that. If he needs to stop the sun in the sky so you can get an assignment done, he can do that. You know, one of my friends, Ed Moore, he's the pastor in Thames now. When he was a school teacher, he took extra work. He must have been insane. He took extra work marking NCEA uh, English exams, right? And um, the thing about marking those exams is that they're all exactly the same, and all of the kids have written exactly the same thing. So when it comes to marking them, you can time it. So it takes you 10 minutes to mark an exam or 20 minutes to mark an exam. And if you've got three or 400 or 500 exams to mark, you can extrapolate very easily to know exactly how much time you need to mark the exams, right? Then you've got to get them done by a certain date so the results can be entered and the, exam, the results can be sent to the kids, right? So there, what happened was he was, um, he was the youth leader at Equipers East in Auckland, and uh, there was, a, there was a, like a, a, a leadership team retreat Friday night, all day Saturday, then Sunday, right? How do you know that that was his prime marking time, right? So he goes to Mateli, who's the pastor, and he says, oh, I can't come to the retreat because I've, I've got these exams to mark, and they've got to be in by, it was the following Friday. So it wasn't like right then, it's that same weekend, right? And he said, they've got to be in by then, and I, I've got classes to teach as well. This is this window, Friday night, Saturday that window, I already had budgeted for exam marking. And Pastor Martelli said this, but you also had already agreed to come to the vision retreat. Yeah, but I've, but I've, I've committed to doing the marking. And Pastor Martelli said, but you committed to come to the retreat. Yeah, but, I've, but this is a job. And, and, and yeah, but this is the kingdom of God. Right, so he was caught between a rock and a hard place, and, and Pastor Marcelli said this, you could just pray that the sun stands still, you'll be able to get your marking done and come to the retreat. Right, so now you know you're talking to an insane person now, aren't you? Right? So because you're talking to someone who expects miracles. Martelli's not hoping for a miracle. He's like, well, the sun will stand still. So you, you know, if you've, made these both, you've made both these commitments. God knows that. God can take you through it. And to this day, he's got no idea how he got the marking done. He's got no idea how he did it. He didn't stay up any later than he'd planned because you, you can't stay up that late if you've got to deal with teenagers the next day. <laughs> right? And he, he just believes God multiplied time when he held both those commitments. Why? Because it was a miracle. 
how would you plan if you could believe for miracles? You'd plan differently. You'd budget differently. You'd organize differently. That's point number one out of 27. Number two, favor. You know, think about Jesus. It says of Jesus that he grew in favor with God and people. Right? So Jesus grew in favor with God and people. So he, he relation, his position relationally continued to develop with the people around him and with God himself. Now, if Jesus can grow in favor, and if Jesus needs to get better at relating with other people, you do too. If Jesus can get better and better at his relationship with God, bear in mind that they were one, then we can grow. We need miracles, but we also need to engage this idea that we've got to grow in favor. Do you know, you need to get better at making friends with your neighbors and work colleagues. You need to get better at it. Why? Because you can get better at it. If you were to get better at it, the kingdom of God can extend through you in greater ways. You can become a better person by getting on better with the people in your world. You need to get better at your relationship with God. You need to get better at it. You need to understand Him better. You need to know what the gospel means better. There's more to it than you currently know. There's a, there's a whole, per, you know, if you think you have it figured out, you're really very, very wrong. You really are. The greatest minds in human history have been thinking about and writing about the Gospels for 2,000 years. And no one's yet really come to the conclusion that they've got it figured out. Apart from cult leaders, they have it nailed down. They really have it locked in. Right? Now, you might not lead a cult with 100 people, but you might lead a cult with just one person. Just you and your little cult with your funny little belief about how the world works. Well, you're probably wrong if you're the only person who believes it. No, you're definitely, you are definitely wrong, right? There's, we can grow. Everyone say grow. We can grow in favor, and that's a result that we're looking for. The other result we're looking for is daily growth. Church, need, we need to grow. We need to grow as a church. We need to add people to what we're doing. Why do we need to add people to what we're doing? Partly because that's the reality of it. That's the whole nature of it. That's the whole way it's supposed to work. From the beginning of time, living things grow. Right? Living things grow. It's built into the created order. They will reproduce after their kind. When, when the church is not growing, it's not healthy. There's something wrong in our attitude or in our actions if we are not growing. If you're not connecting people and adding them to the kingdom, there's something wrong in your attitude or in your actions. I'm extrapolating from this passage and from what I know of Scripture. If you're not extending the kingdom to the people in the world around you, you're not really understanding what the gospel is. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you would share your faith so that you can understand it more. There's actually something that happens in the sharing of faith that allows you to understand the gospel better. If you can't extend the love of God to somebody else, the chances are you'll never understand it yourself. Parents will know this. When did you know what the love of a, a parent was like? When your parents loved you? No. You understood the, how the strength of a parent's love when you extended a parent's love to somebody else. 
when will you fully understand the love of God and the acceptance of God? When you extend the love of God and the acceptance of God to someone unlovely and unacceptable, then you'll understand it. Up until then, it's just, uh, uh, you just, you only have hints of it. And we've got, to, we've got to grow. So the results we're looking for are miracles, favor, and growth. So there's a bunch of actions. Number one is fellowship, which is, again, is an old-fashioned word. How many people like old-fashioned? Fellowship is, a little, is, is one step bigger than friendship. So f- fellowship is friendship, but it's got a um, fellowship has a level of mutual accountability and mutual uh, interdependence on it. So your fellows aren't just your friends. They're sort of a bit more like, it's like friendship with colleagues. They're colleagues as well. So you're, you're friends, but you're also working together for something, but you're also committed together relationally, right? Which is why I'm using the old word, fellowship. It's not the same as friendship. And it's not the same as, 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 as working together. It's working together and being friends together and being committed together like a family, right? So it's not just family. There's also this work side of it. Um, and we've got to commit to be fellowship and the breaking of bread. You know, God's plan has always been for family. You know, the Bible says this about your existence, that before the creation of the world, God loved you. So not at conception, not at birth, before the creation of the world, God loved you. So when did you begin to exist? God wasn't loving a theoretical you, he loved you before the creation of the world, which means that you have an eternal reality. God loved you before the creation of the world and his plan has always been to adopt you as his children. Isn't that cool? God's plan wasn't always to have an army or to have a church or have an organ and a hosting team. He just wanted children. He wanted family. So that's where we got to commit to fellowship. Number two, prayer. These are actions we need to take. If you don't pray on a daily basis, could you start doing it from now? Oh, how will I remember? Just in the morning, wake up and go, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those of the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 30 seconds and you'll be done. Do that every day. And who knows, after you've been doing that every day for a while, who knows what might grow in your prayer life? If you can't manage that, do this each time you eat. Jesus, thank you for my food. Amen. Do this every time you worry. God, I'm worried about, insert current worry, the All Blacks and their ability to win at the World Cup. And just present that to God. God, I'm worried about my exam. I need your help with it. Just begin to pray like that, right? Start with all the selfish things, because you're not going to think about someone else's prayer needs. You're going to mainly focus on your own. Start with all those. And once, those, once God begins working, then you become a person of prayer. We have a prayer meeting every Sunday. You're welcome to come to it. It's really easy. Just turn up. People say, pray about this, and you start talking away about it. And then pray about that. Start talking about that. And then lift your hands, open your heart, drink some juice, eat some bread. That's called communion. And let's have a cup of tea and get ready for church. And it's at 9 o'clock every Sunday. If you think, I don't know much about prayer, I want to get involved in prayer more, just turn up at 9. Well, it's a whole hour before. Yeah, but... Yeah. 
it's half an hour of talking and stuff, and then to have a cup of coffee, then it's church. It's not much of a big deal. Is that all right? They're committed to temple worship. Uh, uh, Hebrews tells us to not neglect the gathering together, the assembling of the faithful, especially as we see the end approaching. So as we see things change in the world, come on, let's keep committed to keeping on gathering together and praising and worshiping. Lifting up God and praising Him in, on a Sunday morning is our version of temple worship. And then gathering house to house. And John has already talked about e-groups, so I don't need to talk about much more. But something different happens when you gather in your house. I don't really know, but it's just different. Have you noticed that? Or, or you gather in a, in, a, in a house group size. When the group dynamic is such that you can ask questions and talk and interact it's totally different. It's totally different. You know, you can watch. It's funny. You can listen to me preach, and, it, and it's awesome. It's always just totally amazing. Uh, or, but, you know, but you, can, you can go to your small group, and you can watch me, same person, talking on a video, right? And it's totally different. Why is it totally different? Just because the group's different. The size of the group's different and allows you to develop, especially because we're all of these different personality types, and we've got different learning styles. Some of you will never move forward until you're in a small group. Some of you need to join a small group so that you can help someone else move forward. And those e-groups, you can, we call them e-groups because we're equippers church. Uh, if we had, you know, we'd, that's just cool anyway. It's just cool. But it's just, it's the size that's important and the connectedness that's important. And you can just, it's as simple as putting your name down. Victoria or someone will ring you on Monday, say, there's a group near you. I'll get them to be in touch. And then all you got to do is turn up. And if it's terrible, just don't go back the next week. If, if you go to an e-group and it's terrible, it's super, super boring, or the people are weird, stop going, we'll find a better one, right? It's, that's the way, that's our quality control system. Once no one's going to your group, then doesn't, it's not a problem anymore, uh, you know? And so if you come to my group, please talk to me before you leave. Um, anyhow, house to house. Lastly, it's not going to be any good without attitudes, say, the right attitudes. This uh, an attitude of unity, you know, some people think unity is like a mystical force that's going to come upon the church. Unity. Oh, you're just lovely trouble. Kumbaya, my Lord. You know, you don't get unity by singing Kumbaya. You actually just make people angry. <laughs> unity, unity is a decision. The All Blacks, you know, a sports team don't think, oh, we're just really waiting for unity to arise. No. Everyone's got to decide. We've got to decide we're working together. We've got to decide we're unified. We've got to decide we're not going to talk against someone behind their back. We've got to decide we're not going to run down leadership. We've got to decide we're going to come forward with our questions. And, and it's not like, well, the Holy Spirit's going to bring unity. No, we decide to be united. We decide to be together because we want to honor God that we decide. You know, it's the same in a workplace. You know, you can't blame leadership. You can't blame people. It's a, it's a working together to say, hey, come on, let's be united around what we're doing. Is that cool? The, um, the, uh, the second thing is, is that, that this whole idea of sharing, which I talked about with the jelly beans and Shay. And I think, you know, in the church, it's interesting that I think I can twist people's arms to give. Come on, give us a jelly bean. Come on. Come on. Put a jelly bean in the bucket. Come on. But it's, but it's a work of God when, when we shift from just giving, giving God this and then giving God that to say, no, everything that I have is about the extension of God's kingdom. 
And see, I extend God's kingdom when I give my tithe. I extend God's kingdom. That's what I'm doing. I'm empowering the church of God when I tithe. When Christy and I decide what we're going to do in miracle offering, and we change our family budget to make that happen, I'm extending the kingdom of God by sharing, right? And it's easy because I've already decided that my life is about the extension of the kingdom of God. But you know, when I pay my mortgage off quicker than I would otherwise, and when I buy a rental property to expand the equity base of my family's finances, I'm extending the kingdom of God because I'm making a way for my kids to go through university without debt. I'm currently making a way so that when they are ready to buy a house, I can buy it for them. Right, just the same as my dad for me did for me. When I'm doing that, when I'm making responsible financial decisions for my family, I am extending the kingdom of God. So when we talk about giving in church, we're not talking about, hey, just throw all your money in and we'll live in a hippie commune and in 30 years' time we'll all be useless together. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, come on, in your attitude and the way you think about money, are you going to think about it like it's yours for your blessing? Because if you do that, it's going to be crap anyway. No one wants to be in your, no one's going to want to be in your life if you think money is all about meeting your own needs. It really will be terrible. You'll have, you'll have nice furniture and you'll have you know, a nice white picket fence, but you won't have a happy life because you've positioned your own needs ahead of the kingdom of God. But my needs are part of the kingdom of God. When I buy groceries so that I've got the energy to prepare a sermon and preach, I'm extending the kingdom of God. Aren't I? Yeah? Could we think about our money like that. The last thing I want to say before we close, I've got five minutes before I get taken out, is um, I, I think that there's, there's one little phrase that I just want to draw your attention to, which I think I think is, is in so many ways is not the one I've got marked, but in so many ways, I think this little phrase is the like is the access point or the, the fulcrum on this whole idea. And um, it says in verse 42, is that they continued steadfastly. They, they did. Who was they? The 3,000. Not the apostles. The 3,000 continued steadfastly. The King James says they devoted themselves. Do you know the thing that makes church great, the thing that extends the kingdom of God, isn't the apostles. It's it's all of us individually saying, I am going to continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and fellowship from house to house and worship and the sharing of goods, the blessing of the body. It's no good. Church is no good if it's a, it's a handful of people continuing steadfastly and a large crowd of people floating in and out when it suits them. Church is no good when it's 3% of people are praying and everybody else is worrying. That's a lot more worry than prayer, right? Church, church is no good when, 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 when it's not no good, right? So it's not what it could be. Church is not, this is a better phrase, church is not what it could be when just 10% of people are covering the cost for the 100%. It would be way better if 90% or 100% of the church was covering the cost for the blessing of God to impact our city. Now, do you know, 
if, if we give more at church, does it make church better? No, it can't because it's already fantastic. When we give more at church, we make the city better. When we give more at church, we, we, we have more hubs. We have more vans to drive teenagers places and preach at them and sing songs and make them dance. We have more money for candy floss on campus. Right? Why do we not want candy floss? Because we, we want to ruin people's teeth. No, we want to connect. we've got more money to connect. If, we, if I have more money, I'd, I'd buy phone contracts for every youth leader so that they could actually, when I ring them up, they could call me back and tell me what's going on. That's firstly. And secondly, they could make pastoral phone calls to teenagers. Right? What, what, what's, what would hold us back? Finances doesn't hold us back, but, f- but if, we, if we had more money, we'd reach out more as a, as a community, wouldn't it? A- amen? Uh, if, if, we, if we all prayed, if we all believed for miracles, if, if we all expected those results, if we all had a heart for unity, if we all made it, not just, oh, yeah, okay, I can make a mental ascent to that, but if we all continued steadfastly, then we would see a real shift in who we are as a community of faith, wouldn't we? I mean, why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm going to pray twice, and then we're going to have morning tea.